beginning in verse 3. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received the commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world, who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. May God bless his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to worship you. And we just uh, are grateful, Father, for, for needs. We are a needy people. And every day we are reminded that without you we can do nothing. Father, there's many things going on in people's lives, some that we don't even know in our church. Just pray that in those situations that you would be glorified. Uh, Father, we mentioned this morning Skip and his need for a kidney and also battling COVID, uh, even along with our president. Father, we pray for healing there, and that you'd be glorified. Uh, Father, we again pray for Ethan and his recovery and for extra grace and strength. And uh, Lord, we're so grateful for the little mercies and the little answers to prayer. We just pray you'd continue and give Jen and Bill strength. And Father, we pray for our sister Pat Sanino, that you'd bless her tomorrow. Give her uh, give her peace uh, that you're in control. Pray that you'd guide the doctor's hands, the surgeon's. Father, please allow them to accomplish more than they even thought they could. We pray for her healing and complete recovery. And right now that both Jim and Pat would just abide in you and sense your presence in a very powerful way. Uh, Lord, I pray for Don Watkins. I pray, Father, that you'd please uh, protect him, that what caused the stroke would not um, would not uh, continue, that uh, the blood clot, those things would dissolve and that that Don would be on, uh, on the way to mend. I pray that you'd help him to be able to restore his speech and gain the the, the um, parts in his body that were, were paralyzed. We just commit him to you. And thank you, Lord, for Josh Noble and for giving him a great opportunity and great ministry. And just pray that you'd bless him this last week as he uh, wraps up and heads home. We just pray for safety and blessing for him and look forward to Josh getting back and sharing with us all the things that, that you did. And it's hard to imagine that it's over already. But again, please uh, bring him here safely. And I pray for Joanne Tomkowitz that you would please touch her body and give her strength. I pray for those that are on the men from different surgeries, we just commit them to you. And we ask your blessing now, Father, upon your word and upon our day. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and uh, turn to 2 John, please. We are continuing a message that we did last Sunday. Uh, We've been dealing with God's justice system. We moved away from that, well, in a sense, last week. 
We have been talking, uh, it all began on uh, Memorial Day, I believe it was. We are talking about uh, how God judges nations, how God, ju- God judges individuals, how God brings about justice. There will be justice. God is a God of justice. God is a God of righteousness. He will set things straight. Uh, and He does that differently. We have it laid out in Scripture, how He's going to do that. And uh, last week we moved... We're talking about two kinds of judgments now. Um, a couple weeks ago, the title was The Supreme Judgment. And then the follow-up was The Supreme Judgment, which was the Great White Throne Judgment. And that is when God is going to punish evil. And He's going to set things right as far as misdeeds. Uh, last week, we dealt with the Judgment Seat of Christ which in the Greek, the word bema, uh, is, it's a different kind of judgment, and I want you to keep this in mind, because we're going to carry on with that today. Uh, we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ, and it is not condemnation, like the great way throne judgment is. By the way, um, it is not popular to preach on hell, and, and when we dealt with the supreme judgment, we dealt with the great way throne judgment, It says, whosoever was not written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. You know, it's hard for so many people to wrap their minds around the concept of hell. I want you to think of this for a minute. I heard a pastor say this uh, recently. Brought out a very good point. No doubt many of you have heard of a court, a, a jury convicting someone of a crime, and you, when you initially heard the judgment, you may have thought to yourself, wow, that really seems so severe. That, that just seems like too, too severe. And then you learn more details about the crime that took place. You learn more of the circumstances. You... Uh, maybe talk to and find out more about the victims of that crime. And you might even come to the conclusion that, you know what? No, that wasn't too, too severe. In fact, after all that information, you may even say, well, I think it was too light. It needed to be more severe. Well, you know, so many people, when they, they have a hard time grasping that there could be a hell. And they think it's just too severe. But folks, once you and I get to heaven and we understand God's holiness, the problem is, the reason if you think hell is too severe, that you've written it out of your program in your mind, you probably don't understand God's holiness and how bad and how offensive sin is. God has to punish sin. It is right. Thankfully, the great white throne judgment is not the only place that God's wrath will fall. It fell on Calvary. And thereby you and I have a chance to even talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is amazing. Because if you want to talk about rewards, we don't deserve rewards. We deserve judgment to this day. And yet God in his graciousness has took care of that condemnation and that punishment uh, 
so that by faith we can have our sins forgiven and now we can be motivated and live for His pleasure and live for His glory. And just like we saw the twofold, when you look at the Scriptures where it talks about authority and the responsibility of human authority in Peter and in Romans, it focuses on two things. The punishment of evildoers and the reward of, rewarding of those who do good. And so now you and I have the opportunity to please our Savior and to get His kudos. That's a big word today, kudos. You know, to get God's kudos so that He could say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now keep in mind, in order for Him to do that, our sin has to be blotted out. I mean, I'm not just talking about the sin before you got saved. Amen? Right? I mean, we still, we still sin. And if, if, if our good was to outweigh our bad and that was the whole thing, forget about getting rewarded. But because of Christ, we can. Now, let's talk about this, the, what we're going to call the Bema. Uh, because Bema simply means judgment seat. And it is used several times in Scripture when it says we, will, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But when you look at the texts that use that phrase, it's not a condemnation type thing. It is simply rewards or lack thereof. Just like an Olympic setting, just like a sports event, you know, when you get judged, you're not getting judged, you know, you're going you're gonna to go to prison. No. You're getting judged for, you know, your, your faithful service, your faithful labor. And so we're going to look today, 2 John, verse 8. John writes this. He says, Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Now there's been some challenge in comprehending this and understanding this. This is one of those difficult passages in some ways. In fact, the King James translators put some marginal notes uh, first, under the word wrought, look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought. They put a, a, an alternate reading, or gained. So that's the idea. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have gained, but that we receive a full reward. And, and there's some, in fact, the King James translators then put another note. Some copies which ye have gained... In other words, some copies read where it says, which ye have gained, but that ye receive. In other words, they're not sure about the ye or the we. So the text might be similar. It might be saying the idea of what Paul communicated in Galatians 4. Paul said, I am afraid of you or afraid for you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Uh, So some think that John is talking about the labor that John bestowed upon them but the, and that might be, but no matter what, he's still challenging them about they're making good use of it so they don't lose the things that they wrought, but that they receive a full reward. And I want you to think of that because when it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, when it comes to the Bema, it's all about living for his pleasure. And it's all about, 
it's, 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 we sing the hymn, It Will Be Worth It All When We See Jesus. That song means a lot to me, and it has uh, ministered to me over the decades, because sometimes, humanly, you get weary in well-doing. And you tend to think, and I might talk about this at the end depending on time, you tend to think, what's the use? You ever felt like that? I know, you're all so spiritual. Never thought of that. Well, I have, okay? I'm, I'm humble. I mean, I'm not humble. I'm, I'm, I'm weak, you know, at times. And I realize that, you know, there's times when I just I think, is it really worth it? But then that's why that hymn, it will be worth it all. When we see Jesus. And, and so we need, to, we need to get beyond the tyranny of the, all the tyrannies. In other words, there's things that will try to vie for our attention and get us distracted from serving the Lord. In fact, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, um, Be not entangled again. A good soldier, how is it? Uh, he that entangleth himself with uh, the affairs of this world. I'm, I'm getting the, the wrong. That, but here's the key that I want. That he may please him. Say it again, Jason. He that warreth. Entangleth not himself. Thank you so much. Entangleth himself not in the affairs of this world. Why? And this is what, that he may please him with called him to be a soldier. See, we are, we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we want to live to please Him. But we have certain tyrants that want to rob that from us and get us distracted. What is a tyrant? Uh, tyranny is, uh, is, in fact, let me give you the definition. Tyranny is a noun that describes a repressive and arbitrarily cruel regime. So when you're talking about tyranny, you're talking about somebody that's usurping authority non-proper authority and tending to be very severe and very cruel. And uh, so the idea of a dictator, but people aren't the only ones that can be tyrants. Things can be tyrants in our lives. Things can rob our attention so that we live for temporal pleasure instead of eternal pleasure. So our challenge is, and I want to ask you, what tyranny do you battle with? Is it the tyranny of material possessions? The tyranny of the praise of people? The tyranny of temporal pleasures? There's so many different tyrannies that can overcome. And our challenge is, we want to live for His pleasure. So we're going to look at three words this morning. And by the way, these in the Charlie was talking about grammar this morning, uh, which he doesn't always do, and nor do I. You'll find out in a minute why. Uh, but we're going to look at three gerunds. You ever heard of that? I've been preaching for 33 years, and I'm pretty sure I've never used that from the pulpit. And I'm pretty sure I never will use it ever again. <laughs> a gerund is the noun form of a verb. And so we're, going to, we're talking about the bema. And there's three gerunds. There's three things that we have to keep in mind that, that are actions, but they're nouns. And, and so let me give you them there. And it all has to do with the bema. Gaining, possessing, 
and treasuring. Those are all gerunds, and those are all things that we need to keep in mind uh, when it comes to the Bema. So let's just jump right in. Uh, and, and we talked a little bit about some of this last week. And then Wednesday, uh, I was kind of still chewing over this stuff in my mind. And so I'm going to share some things that I shared on Wednesday night. If you were part of our Zoom, uh, some of that will be repeat. But uh, I want to bring it in for those that weren't here, and it also fits in this. Uh, so let's talk about the issue of gaining. And I mentioned this last week, uh, quoting from the book called The Treasure Principle. Is it wrong to be motivi- motivated by a desire to gain or to get rewarded? A lot, of, a lot of people will come across and say, you know, you and I should not live for, for gaining stuff. And then we can quote all kinds of scriptures. Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on our See, the Bible says we shouldn't lay up. Oh, wait a minute. It's not saying we shouldn't lay up or gain. It's saying we shouldn't lay up treasures on earth that are temporary, but rather we should lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth, can't, doth not corrupt, thieves can't break through and steal. He's not telling us we shouldn't you know, uh, live and gain certain things. He's just saying... Live for the things which are lasting and more important is what he's saying. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. In fact, the whole idea of gain is Christ's idea. He understands and he seems, it it, it lays out the Bible and his teaching that it seems that there are two primary motivations or concerns of all human beings. And that is number one, a desire for gain. And number two is a fear of loss. And Jesus does not treat those as wrong. In fact, he bases things understanding that that's what makes us tick. A desire for gain and a fear of loss. Remember what he said? What shall it profit a man? Oh, I'm not into profit. I don't believe we should profit. Now he's saying, what shall it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? That's the ultimate gain and the ultimate loss, right? So he's not against the concept of gain. 1 Timothy 6.6, but godliness with contentment is great, what? Gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Paul talked about running the race of the Christian life. And he said this, So run that you may obtain. So it's not wrong to desire gain if you have the right perspective, the eternal view in mind. The thing that God condemns is having all our focus on the here and now and and just laying up. In fact, remember the, the parable of the rich, the ruler that had so much stuff, he had to tear down his barns and build bigger. And he's not condemning uh, the idea of saving. I mean, we have in, the, in Proverbs the ant who provides ahead of time for his family, but he talks about the person that is rich toward this world, but poor toward God. Is not rich toward God is the way I believe it's worded. God wants us to be rich toward God. 
wants us living for His pleasure, living for things that matter, our relationship with Him. So when you, when you see the caution against covetousness, it is talking about that simply laying up treasure on earth. It's not condemning the idea of laying up treasure in heaven, and we'll see that in a minute. And some, some Christians take the very you know, high, pious view, well, I believe in heavenly minimalism. You know, I, I, I don't believe you should try to lay up anything for heaven. I'm going to just try to get by so that when I get to heaven, I just barely make it, and then I have nothing to show. That's not something that the Bible talks about. There's no concept of heavenly minimalism in the Bible. In fact, and I want to read I'm going to, a couple of illustrations that I'm using today come from the book that I quoted that uh, a pastor, local pastor gave a group of us at a pastor's conference years ago. And it's a little book called The Treasure Principle that has blessed me. I'm going to use a couple of illustrations there uh, because it is spot on. Written by a pastor, uh, Randy Alcorn, I think. I, I'm not sure. And that is not a tacit approval of, of the author. But he, I, in fact, this is how he opens this book. And I remember when I'm reading it, he goes into this long detail about this hypothetical scenario. And then at the end, and I'm going to read it to you word for word of what he says. And then at the end, he shares this story is in the Bible in one verse. And as soon as he quoted the verse, I'm like, I knew that verse. I'm familiar with that. But he, the way he you know, filled in some details, potential details, it put me right there, and it really drove home the meaning of that verse. So follow, follow along, listen to what, what he says in the opening of this book. He said, A first century Jew walks alone on a hot afternoon, staff in hand. His shoulders are stooped, sandals covered with dirt, tunic stained with sweat but he doesn't stop to rest. He has pressing business in the city. He veers off the road into a field, seeking a shortcut. The owners won't mind. Travelers are permitted this courtesy. The field is uneven. To keep his balance, he thrusts his staff into the dirt. Thunk! The staff strikes something hard. He stops, wipes his brow, and pokes again. Thunk! Something's under there, and it's not a rock. The weary traveler tells himself that he can't afford to linger, but his curiosity won't let him go. He jabs at the ground. Something reflects a sliver of sunlight. He drops to his knees and starts digging. Five minutes later, he uncovered it. A case fringed in gold. By the looks of it, it's been there for decades Heart racing, he pries off the rusty lock and opens the lid. Gold coins, jewelry, precious stones of every color issued in Rome over 70 years ago. Some wealthy man must have buried the case and died suddenly. The secret of the treasure's location dying with him. There is no homestead nearby. Surely the current landowner has no clue that the treasure's here. The traveler closes the lid, buries the chest, and marks the spot. He turns around, heading home, only now he's not plotting. He's skipping like a little boy, smiling broadly. What a find. Unbelievable. 
I've got to have that treasure. But I can't just take it. That would be stealing. Whoever owns the field owns what's in it. But how can I afford to buy it? I'll sell my farm and crops, my tools, even my prize oxen. Yes, I'll sell everything. That should be enough. From the moment of his discovery, the traveler's life changes. The treasure captures his imagination, becomes the stuff of dreams. It's his reference point, his new center of gravity. The traveler takes every new step with this treasure in mind. He experiences a radical paradigm shift. I'm like, oh, that's a cute story. Then he says this. The story is captured by Jesus in a single verse. I'm like, what? I don't remember reading this story in the Bible. And then he quotes it. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Oh, that's right, it is in there. Do you get what the point is? You see, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Here this man's whole everything shifts because he's found something, he's, that it, he's found treasure that he's never seen before or ever experienced before. And now everything changes because he's going to live for that He has the ability to obtain it. And now his whole pursuit is that. Now for the believer, that's what happens when you and I get saved. We we realize, you know what? Whatever I can amass here on this earth is nothing compared to the eternal treasures that I can lay up and should. The challenge is, Have you and I gotten a glimpse of that? Or are we still plodding along, trying to eke out, you know, get some coins here, get some coins here, and and not really taking advantage of the greatest treasure, eternal riches? You see, when Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal, he he wasn't against laying up treasure. He said, but rather lay up treasure in heaven. It's It's permanent. So that's gaining. It is not wrong for you and I to want to get gain. As long as you and I understand the context. If we're talking about eternal riches versus temporal riches, we're on the right track. And we need to live for the eternal things. Secondly, possessing. The second, gerund. I'm going to say gerund as much as I can because I'll probably never say it again. Okay. The second gerund is possessing. The issue of possessing. And along the lines of, you know, gaining, is it wrong to want to possess? You know, someone's possessive. Hey, you know what? When you and I got saved, we, we got possession of the greatest gift ever. Listen to what Jesus said in John 5, 24. I've quoted a lot lately. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Remember this? He that heareth my word... And believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life. Present tense. Not will. Hath. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Has that happened to you? Where you've 
you've gotten the greatest possession of all eternal life. That is a possession you and I should not shun. And there's a lot of people that are shunning it. A lot of people don't even realize it's available to them because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He wants you and I to possess eternal life. In our First John series in the evening service, we just looked at this is the record that God has given to us. He's given it to us. Eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Not the Baptist church, sorry, or any church. This life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Do you, do you have that possession of eternal life? Do you have Jesus Christ, the greatest possession of all time? So, uh, in this book, The Treasure Principle, he lays out this imagined scenario. Suppose that your home is in Italy and you're visiting America for three months living in a hotel. You're told that you can't bring anything back to Italy on your flight, but you can earn money and mail deposits to your bank in Italy. Would you fill your hotel room with expensive furnishings and wall hangings? Of course not. You would send your money where your home is. Right? Isn't that a good way to think of it? We can send, we can't take it with us anything, but we can send it ahead. I love that point. We can send, we can lay up treasures in heaven and literally send them ahead. What a great blessing that is. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 8, Paul said, Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. There are rewards. In fact, Jesus gave the parable uh, of the, uh, the, the three servants all got one pound. Remember that? And one of them took that pound and gained ten more. And the Lord said, well done. You're going to be in charge of ten cities. The other one had a pound and gained five. And the, and the, the Lord said, you are going to be in charge of five cities. And of course, then the one that didn't do anything but just buried it was rebuked. So the idea of you know, living for reward is foreign to Scripture. God wants us to be motivated Because he wants to bless us. He wants to reward those who live for the things that matter. 2 John 8, our verse, it says, excuse me, 2 John 8, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. He's telling us, be careful, make sure that what investment was either invested in you or what you're investing in, make sure you don't lose that. Jesus said, or the Bible says in Revelation 3 and verse 11, Jesus is quoted, Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. So there is the idea. And this is the judgment seat of Christ. When you're talking about judgment, the worst thing that can happen is you just don't get the rewards that you could have got. You won't get the praise. It'll be disappointing. We're not talking judgment. Remember that. We're not talking condemnation. But it'll be disappointing, won't it? In fact, one writer, a pastor from some years back, said this. Were it to, he wrote this to believers. He said, 
Were it possible for one of us to see this business as the all-seeing God does and see what most men and women in the world are interested in and what they are doing every day, it would be the saddest sight imaginable. Oh, how we should marvel at their madness and lament their self-delusion. If God had never told them what they were sent into the world to do or what was before them in another world, then there would have been some excuse. But it is his sealed word and they profess to believe it. By the way, that was Pastor Richard Baxter over 400 years ago. 1600s, he wrote that. That applies to today too, doesn't it? Are you desirous to gain eternal riches for the glory of God? Are you seeking to have possession of the things that are above that God wants to to give to you? And then thirdly, treasuring. And I mentioned this on Wednesday. I asked the question. I'll ask you if you weren't with us. Do you think, and don't respond, this is merely hypothetical or rhetorical. Do you think the word thesaurus is in the Bible? Now, if you got your English, you know, Strong's Concordance or uh, Young's Concordance and you looked up the word thesaurus in the English, it wouldn't be there. But do you know that the word thesaurus is found in the Bible? In fact, in one passage, in two or three verses, it's found five times. It's a Greek word. And that's where I want you to turn now to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, treasuring, gaining, possessing, and treasuring. And by the way, the, the, you will not see the word thesaurus in the English. In fact, you will see no word or word phrase five times in this text, but it's in the Greek. Sometimes it's used as a verb, sometimes it's used as a noun, but it's all the same Greek word, this Greek word thesaurus. By the way, it's not talking about synonyms, but actually these are synonyms because all these translations of the same, all the, the words that are translated are from the same word. But look what Jesus said. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. All right, you could say, all right. I don't see any word that's, that's used five times, but I do see a word that's used three times. The word treasure. And guess what? That's the Greek word thesaurus, which just means to, to amass, accumulate things. And like an encyclopedia is a type of thesaurus because it's heaping up definitions. And, and, and that's why a, a thesaurus heaps up words that mean the same thing. But this Greek word is what Jesus used when he he talks about laying up. In fact, here's the key. The, The phrase, lay not up or lay up, that's also the word thesaurus. In fact, that's the verb. So the noun is treasure. 
Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But the verb of that same word is lay not up. In other words, it could be worded this way and it would be proper. Treasure not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But rather treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The things that we treasure, there's another term that we use for that. The things that we treasure or value or consider very worthy, we would call them precious. And not the same things are precious to everybody. Everybody has different things that are precious to them. Somebody who's living for the world, the things of the world, to them, precious would be material possessions, the praise of men. But to anyone that's living for eternity, the things that are precious are eternal things, important things. In fact, what does the Bible say in Proverbs? Proverbs 3.15 says, Who can find, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth what? A good thing and obtaineth favor. Oh, I'm not interested in obtaining favor. Oh, then you shouldn't have got married. Okay? No, it's okay to want to obtain and be blessed. In fact, it says in that text, Proverbs 3.15, She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou desirest, all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. So the things we... God is telling us what He wants us to consider precious. Not the things on this earth, but the things in heaven. That's what He wants us to... to to value. We're sharing on Wednesday with um, many of you know this. We were praying for it at the time that uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law live in Colorado, Mary's sister. And uh, they have, he is a doctor in Denver and oftentimes he will work during the week. They have a mountain home and during the quarantine, uh, Holly and her son lived in the mountain home because of, he has some health issues. And so that's where they weren't. So, because they were spending so much time in the mountain home, she started renovating and really working on it every day and just delighting in it. And at one point, she took a, a walk through with her iPad and took a video of you know, all the stuff she had done. And then all of a sudden, this was in October to November of 2020, there was a major wildfire in Colorado, the second largest of recorded history. It was called the East, of all things, it's called the East Troublesome Fire. And it ended up destroying over 580 structures and one couple died. And within a matter of minutes, their house was gone. And they just got out with their life. In fact, they took a video of them escaping in the car. And it is harrowing. To just they're driving a road and you see flames on both sides. It is, you know, you you realize what's valuable when things like that happen. And as I said, in a matter of minutes, their entire possessions, all the contents of their mountain home were gone. But my brother in law would say, I'm sure, <laughs> the two most precious things were spared his wife and his son. That's what matters, isn't it? what matters and they have that perspective you know what 
someday you and I, we are going to leave this world and everything behind it. You've heard the old adage, you can't get buried with a U-Haul because you're not going to bring anything with you, right? Uh, In fact, Job put that very clearly. Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But as the book points out the treasure principle, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. And I want to close with this quote from A.W. Tozer. It has to do with finances. And it's a, a great quote. I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it has to do with how you and I can use our money for eternal purposes. And we should. Uh, And in that, he says this. He says, as base a thing as money often is. And by the way, this applies to not just money. It, It applies to time, our possessions. As base a thing as money and these things are, yet it can be transmuted. That means changed from one thing into another into everlasting treasure. And listen to this. He said, any temporal possession." can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. It is a blessing to me, and I shared this um, in light of, we're going to be going to the wilds, taking my son to the wilds this week. and It is such a blessing to me, as you know, with any parent. In fact, in Second John it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And it has been a blessing to me that I've seen it with my kids and I've seen it with church family too. When somebody gets so fed up with where their life is and they start getting really diligent about doing devotions. And that blesses me. Really does bless me. They make extra, I mean, they start getting serious about it. Now, unfortunately, what often happens, not just with kids, but with adults, is that zeal that got them compelled to do them uh, doesn't stay there 24-7. And so too many times it falls by the wayside. And that's why I want to challenge you because the thing that's sad, and it comes from, from all of us, is to get that feeling of despair that says, what's the use? We've all felt that. I, I believe we have. And by the way, if not, you tell me after. Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never felt discouraged. I've never felt like, what's the use? I am gung-ho, 100%, 24-7. You know, tell me that after and then shake my hand so some of it rubs off, okay? Have you not diligently sought, I am going to get serious about my walk with the Lord. I'm going to get in God's Word. I'm going to feast and memorize and meditate. And it was going great for three days or whatever it was, Right? And then you get discouraged and you say, and this is what the devil uses. What's the use? I'll tell you what the use is. Every effort you have made in the past, even if you didn't stick with it, was still worth its weight in gold. Better than gold. And you know what? Don't don't let the devil beat you up on the fact that you haven't been as consistent as you should be. Because that's what he wants to do. I, I imagine, I don't know if he has an office, but I imagine that the devil is sitting in glee every week that he can use that feeling of despair. What's the use to keep us down? But I want to remind you folks, 
when it comes to devotion, whatever, and, and your, your efforts, quiet time, your, your devotional time, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. You did well. Every effort that you did to draw near to the Lord, you did well. Every day that you and I reach our goal and fulfill our goals, we have accomplished something very big. And you and I need to realize, and I close with this, remember what the Bible says? Uh, Every man's work will be made manifest because the day will declare it. Uh, All our works will be tried by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. This is totally not talking about the great white throne judgment because this is not punishment. This is only rewards or lack thereof. In 1 Corinthians 3, it, it continues. Uh, we, wood, hay, uh, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. The, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Again, this is not condemnation. The biggest bummer of the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, is what we could have done for His glory. No punishment. Don't worry about that. It's under the blood. Praise God. That changes everything, doesn't it? But, can you get hold of that? Let's live for the things that are lasting and cannot be taken away and result to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray you'd encourage uh, all of us along the lines of our Christian walk. Uh, because we do, we do walk, we want to walk by faith, but we are in this flesh and too many times we end up walking by sight. And I pray that you'd encourage the flock. Uh, Father, first I pray that you'd identify the flock in our hearts. Those that have been born again and are washed in the blood, whose names are written in the book of life, who have and now possess eternal life and will never perish. I pray, Father, that they will be identified in their hearts, that anyone is not sure that they're saved by the blood and washed and and their names written in the book of life, that they would get saved today so that they could know that there's no condemnation on their radar. And now it's simply a matter of living Not for our own pleasure, but living for your pleasure so that we might bring great glory to you and we truly will say it was worth it all. We ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's all stand.